In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody's having a beautiful day. I hope the sun is shining, the birds are singing, the wind is at your back. We have with us today an incredible guest, Spencer Hawkswell. He's the president and CEO of Theracell. For those who may not know, Theracell is a nonprofit and training organization advocating for legal access to psilocybin for those in medical need. Additionally, additionally, they are home to Canada's leading psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy training program. Spencer, there's a lot more I could say about you, but I think the most people in this space know who you are. And if I left anything out in the introduction, please feel free to, to let me know about it. I want to get into all the things you're doing. But before I do that, I just wanted to say hello and ask you how you're doing today. Oh, I'm I'm doing really, really well. I'm, I'm calling in from Toronto. I normally live on the West Coast in Vancouver. Uh, but I'm home visiting some friends and family this weekend. So, uh, I, yeah, I couldn't be better. I'm doing great. Thank you. Nice. Absolutely. I, um, you know, prior to us starting this conversation, we had talked a little bit about your, your trip to, um, India out there a little bit. And you have this amazing picture of you on this motorcycle and the mountains out there. And it seems that so many people that have been in this space or so many people that have actually made the pilgrimage or been lucky enough to go to the far east to to kind of figure out a little bit about themselves and about the space it seems like that trip was pretty pretty amazing for you i was wondering if you could tell people i think that'd be a little bit of a background people could learn about you can you tell people about what what that trip was about and maybe what you learned over there yeah for sure i mean uh, for me it was about an expansion of you know my perception of the world right like traveling certainly is something that you know uh, not everyone gets to do it's a real privilege um but you know the traveling i did it was pretty pretty on the cheap i mean that's that's somewhere almost anyone can go i, I did a lot of southeast asia um and uh i i absolutely love theology and divinity and uh, and world religions so uh i i needed to go check out india 
um, you know, the, really just the birthplace of so much rich cultural culture and history. Um, so I wanted to go there and, and sure enough, you know, got, uh, got a, a really enriched view of, uh, of, of, a, of a completely different world um, that I think everybody, they don't have to go to anything, go anywhere, but, but everybody should get out of their country uh, when they're young and uh, in order to have a real understanding of how the world works, because um, it completely changed my view on so many things. You know, uh, I would say in Canada, North America, here in, in the US, we really live in a bubble. We think that everybody thinks one way and, and that that's how it works. And the second you, you, you head somewhere else, you realize that not only is there a whole different world of, of religious belief and cultural belief, uh, but that they're, they're interconnected to the world that we live in. They've got a completely separate view of world events and, and, and how we view ourselves. It was the best thing I ever did. It was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds amazing. You know, there's a great book I was just reading. It's called Storming Heaven. If anybody ever uh, is looking for a good book, this book right here is called Storming Heaven. It's by Jay Stevens. And it's just about the 60s. And it's it talks quite a bit about this integration of the East and the West and theology and divinity. And I'm wondering, after going over to India and coming back to America, the Americas, you know, was there like a was there like this bridge that you crossed where you began seeing the world in a more holistic view? Because it seems that that's that's sometimes what happens is like all of a sudden you're introduced to all these new ideas and then you're you come back to this place where you used to live and you're able to incorporate and maybe see things from a different perspective. Is that something that you encountered? Absolutely, and it gave me a whole appreciation for my own life and upbringing and my own heritage and culture. I like. I had always been interested in, you know, Alan Watts, right, yeah. and and Carl Jung, and and all these people who had who had done, you know, a significant amount of traveling and and looking into psycho psychology. You know, I think it's Alan Watts, psychology East and West, or psychotherapy East yeah. and West, and and you know, yin and yang, right, to <laughs> Dharma, Karma, like all these different, uh, you know, old old philosophies um, that actually made me have a whole new respect for Christianity, which I, I was yeah. born and raised Christian. I went to a Catholic school and yeah all of these things that were right under my nose all of these belief systems that we have uh, that hugely impact uh, the world i live in uh, also living i had lived in toronto for a long time and i'm now in vancouver these are like you know it, it's pretty much like everybody in in vancouver is uh is from every single part of the world right it's so multicultural so so yeah you go to these places and you go ah i get it you know, I understand why there are so many uh, Sikhs living here and, and why there's such a rich Chinese community here. And and I, I understand how they better, not fully, but better how they operate. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. It, it made me also then realize that, you know, the, how I had been raised has is just as important and special and, and amazing. Um, yeah, increases conscientiousness and all, I'd say. <laughs> Yeah, that's so well put. You know, it reminds me of like a rite of passage or a ceremony or a ritual for someone to leave everything you know. And you could see it in like different scriptures like the prodigal son or, you know, you hear uh, just different types of – if you read Siddhartha, the same thing happens in there. And, you know, you, you see this leaving everything you know so that you could become the person you're supposed to be and then a return back to implement some of those ideas. And I'm, is – so after you come back, how do you how do you transition from this person who has 
gone out and made all these self discoveries. And then all of a sudden now you're the CEO of Therasil, which is in a really big fight to help legalize or, or get people in Canada, the right to medicinal psilocybin. But how do you go from one person to this next person? Was there a vision? Was there a path that you followed? Was there something that inspired you or what was that road like? Yeah. You know, I, I was inspired by every single story that I have read growing up. Right. I mean, I'm a, I'm a kid in the nineties. So I think of, you know, uh, the legend of Zelda, right? <laughs> which yeah. is like, Nintendo 64 Legend of Zelda, right? Like I would lie. I'd be lying if I said that those stories, which again, come from rich mythological stories, you know, far beyond anything Nintendo ever made up, right? These are all like age old ar archetypes of, of the hero going off and, and heading to different distant lands, um, you know, to discover the, what the world is. And, and in the same way themselves too, it's the hero journey, which yep. will likely bring us back to, We'll probably talk about that later on, right? Because that's Absolutely. that's something that we people refer to in psychedelics all the time is this hero's journey. Um, and as far as I see it, like the goal really uh, should be, I think, to to explore the unknown uh, and to overcome it and and all the fear and anxiety that that comes along with with new places and 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 doing new things, right? Fundamentally, that's what humans do, right? We we take chaos and we turn it into order. That is the hero's journey. That's their story. Uh, so the parallels, uh, yeah, are are amazing, and 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 I think that's that's the basis for a lot of a lot of at least my uh, my travels and, and time. Um, so you know, coming back from that, what do you see in the, every single one of those instances? Is the best thing that you can come back to do is is take a bit of responsibility, um, and and that's what I wanted to do is is come back to Canada. Um, I saw or in my time traveling, I experimented with a lot of psychedelics. There was a lot of publicity around uh, Michael Pollan's book um, and a lot of the research that was being done. And, you know, I'd been working in, in sales uh, prior and finance at RBC and TD. And I just thought, I don't want to go back to that. I want to come back and do something really important. And it was just the right time. You know, so, so often, uh, you know, what people ascribe to luck is really just skill and, and opportunity. And that was my opportune moment to work in in this field. And so when I came back, uh, I thought, how do I do this? My mother was hugely supportive as a palliative care nurse. Um, and upon, you know, a couple of days of research, I found Bruce Tobin, uh, really the founder of, of Theracil and, and, you know, kind of the rest is history, but let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's amazing to me to bring up the idea of the hero's journey in psychedelics, because it's, it is, it's this moment where, you know, those myths have been ingrained in us since Platonic times, you know, that these are things that we hearken back to. Or if you read Terence McKinney, you read the stories of the archaic revival, this idea of going back to a time where we kind of had direction, where we knew where we were going. And sometimes you have to go back and face the threshold guardian, Joseph Campbell would say, in order to make it to the next level. And so, I love to hear that, and I I'm curious. So you meet Bruce, and then all of a sudden you 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 just meet him, and you're like, hey, I want I want to see what you're doing with there. So I'm interested in this. Or do you tell him your story or your vision, or how does it proceed from there? Yeah, I mean, at, at the time, Bruce Tobin uh, had a group of you know uh, four or five other clinicians in Victoria, so Vancouver Island, um, and they were asking for permission from the Canadian government to essentially redo the Hopkins experiment, but 
less in the context of the experiment, more just medical access. Because if 80% of patients are seeing, you know, clinically significant decreases in anxiety, depression, in, you know, wherever the studies are being done, why not Canadians? And, and here's the kicker. Why not Canadians who recently, at that time, 2017, uh, had been given the right to die with medical assistance in dying, which we call MAID in Canada. And so, you know, this is where we were, he really ran into this, let's just call it constitutional, or, or we have a charter in Canada, um, logical inconsistency, where the government says, uh, you have liberty over your body, um, and, and, and the right to safety uh, and security of your persons to, to essentially like so much freedom and liberty, you could actually end your own life. But don't you dare try a mushroom, which in these clinical studies has been proven to be very effective. So Bruce thought, I'm going to ask. And then if that doesn't work, we're going to sue the government. And so I had messaged Bruce and I essentially said, man, I love what you're doing. Uh, any chance I could come work for free for you and just uh, get into the world, then uh, he just sent me a message back saying, uh, Spencer, nice to hear from you or, or meet you. I'm heading to Mexico in seven days. I, I head there for the winter. If you want to meet me before then, come do that. And so I literally hopped in my parents' car and drove out west the next day. <laughs> and that's how we that's how we met. And uh, I, I guess from there, we just hit it off, you know, really hit it off. And, and I started working for him, raising money. But almost instantaneously, I met a couple people um, who had been working with cannabis. And it became very clear that we just we had to change the tactic a little bit that we could go the legal route, or we could uh, ch change the request from, you know, uh, a doctor asking for access, and instead focus on patients and see if we can get the Canadian public behind us to support us. Uh, and so that's when, you know, Bruce and I working on the challenge, trying to raise money, we, we met Thomas Hartle and Lori Brooks. And those were two patients who eventually we, we went public with, uh, to the public and said, look at, you know, these two Canadians have the right to die, but don't have the right to try psilocybin. And we requested that exemption again from the minister and the minister at the time actually granted it. And that really was the first time that I would say we gained any real publicity. Um, we got the first legal exemptions for psilocybin in, uh, in Canada and since it was made illegal, you know, 50 years ago. That's so awesome. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. It, no, I'll leave it there. I'll, I'll let you ask you. Yeah. I, you gotta, you gotta watch me. I'll, I'll keep on talking forever if you let me. So, uh. no, it's all good. I, I'm, I'm curious to hear all about it. It's, it seems like a huge win. I love the idea of switching tactics. You know, it's almost like you're, you're harnessing the wind from another angle when you switch from, from the doctor to the patient. Maybe you could. What was it that caused you to have that change in strategy? Um, you know, it was, it was a person, honestly. Uh, it, it was one of our, it was one of the people who had, who had worked in government and done it before, um, back in the early two thousands for cannabis, um, and said, Hey, just so you know, politicians don't give a shit about doctors and, and therapists and nurses, um, at least not as this, you know, uh, obscure, uh, kind of class of, of healthcare professionals, right. Uh, they care about individuals. They really do. And the Canadian public does too. And they really care about patients right? Mm. Whose rights are being violated. And so that was just like, well, duh, right? Dr. Bruce Tobin's asking for this access. We're going to sue the government. It's like, that's like a back of the, you know, that's like you send that to the, the back of the table, backwater government, kind of like somebody deal with this. 
Um, but when we bring Thomas Hartle and Laurie Brooks forward, two people who are suffering and are now trying to decide, well, do I end my life with medical assistance in dying or do I access psilocybin? Let's let the Minister of Health figure that one out. And now the Minister of Health is going, uh-oh, right? Mm -hmm. In a way, it's like the blood is on my hands right. if I don't respond here. And luckily, we had an incredibly compassionate health minister. Her name is Patty Haiju. Um, she's now moved away from the uh, being the Minister of Health to the Minister of Indigenous Affairs. And we've got two new health ministers. Um, to, to go back, those two exemptions approved, we went on to get another 50 exemptions approved, as well as many for um, healthcare professionals too. So, you know, once the patients got the access, it was like, okay, well, how are patients going to access psilocybin assisted psychotherapy if we don't have trained therapists? Um, now, obviously those therapists could just train illegally, but we wanted to make a point of, no, this should be legal. And so we requested uh, access for, for those for those therapists and doctors to use psilocybin in the context of training. And we got the approval and that's the launch of our training program. So now, you know, we're in this point of 2020 or 2021, where we've got patients accessing psilocybin, seeing amazing, amazing progress uh, in their, in their mental state, right? Like going from absolute depression, demoralization, hopelessness, um, struggling with with even getting through chemotherapy and, and, and waking up each day to like becoming these vicious advocates who are doing so well and are, are happy, uh, are full of hope and, and so much better after their single psilocybin journey. Um, you know, things are going so well. And then Trudeau, our, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau, um, got reelected and changed his cabinet over and we got a new new health minister, actually two new health ministers. They they replaced uh, Patty Hadju with both Jean-Yves Duclos and Caroline Bennett. Um, and the second they got into power, they shut the whole program down. Uh, and that's brought us pretty much to this date where uh, they made a small amendment to allow access through this thing called the Special Access Program. But like its name suggests, it's very special. It's, mm. you know, not everyone gets access. And so... Uh, we're now at the point where we're a charter challenge, right? Going back to the original strategy is, is really the only option we've got. And so we've pushed that forward incredibly hard. Um, you know, the reason for changing tactics is just, you have to, right. You, you have to be, you have to be willing to, uh, to explore new ways. Right. And, and just like you said, the Campbell, what you call it, the, the guardian, <laughs> guardian, it's like, Right when you think things are going well and you've got a strategy, the whole world conspires, you know, to uh, to to essentially say, well, too bad. Right now you got a new problem. Right. You got to overcome that. So it really is this continuous journey of, of how we how to fight active political campaign that wants to do everything it possibly can to stop people from accessing psilocybin. And that's what's really become clear is I don't know whose agenda it is, but it seems like everybody within the government doing everything they possibly can to stop legal access to psilocybin. Uh, meanwhile, it's, it's never been easier to get it unregulated and uh, access. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, this is just speculation on my part and I don't know, but <clears throat> it seems to me that a lot of politicians, at least in the U S are, are get donations from like Pfizer or, big pharma or something like that. And it would make sense that these large corporations that have 
you know, help create the curriculum in different medical schools or have different contracts with different hospitals, it would seem that they would have a lot of money to lose if, in fact, you know, you could have this type of psilocybin treatment, you know, this mushroom that grows in the ground for free versus this long, extensive, you know, lifetime subscription to drugs, at least till the end of your life. It seems like there could be some of that going on in the Canadian government. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, I'm, I mean, without a doubt, right? Like, this is a personal qualm I have with uh, the way that our, our government works with with pharmaceutical companies right now is, you know, pharmaceutical companies are, do amazing work sometimes, right? They, yeah. they bring drugs to market that are like, incredible. Um, I think the best thing, though, is when individual researchers find these things, like, uh, I, I forget his name right now, he's from Toronto, or it happened in the University of Toronto. But, you know, this is where this is where we discovered insulin for diabetes. Uh, and that was, was not, you know, there was no patent put on that, right? That the right thing to do was like, I just found this miracle drug. Let's share it with the world. Let's not patent it. So, you know, at the end of the day, if there's this radical, uh, you know, treatment option for, for depression and hopelessness, uh, anxiety, um, you know, who's at jeopardy? And the answer is shareholders of pharmaceutical companies and, and the pharmaceutical companies themselves. What's it worth to them? The answer is probably like a trillion dollars over right. the next couple of years. So when you really think about like, what are we up against? We're up against people who who expect to make about a trillion dollars from the SSRIs and and different anti antidepressants um, that that should psilocybin be as effective as it as it looks within these clinical trials? Um, you know, will it compete those those, those pharmaceutical companies? So you almost got to turn the answer to it around and be like, well, what would you do if a billion dollars or a trillion dollars was on the line? And the answer is almost anything because these companies, their their goal as a for-profit company, their legal obligation is to get as many drugs into people as possible, right? To maximize shareholder value. Um, and so I absolutely think we're being counter-lobbied by, uh, by pharmaceutical companies. I think there's a lot of people who don't want to see psilocybin uh, get through. And if they do, hopefully it's their psilocybin, right? right. It's a patented molecule. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty distressing sometimes. Uh, and I definitely feel it. Uh, the the verb, you know, I I feel that coming through uh, through the government because, you know, in Canada, um, if you go outside, we were talking about this before. If if I walk yeah. down the street here, there's a mushroom dispensary, not too far from me. So, um, the answer is like, or, or the truth here is, anybody in Canada can access mushrooms, uh, psilocybin. They can get it online. They can uh, go down to the store and get it. But when it comes to uh, medical treatment, it seems like the entire medical establishment and our, our government is conspiring to make sure that, that no one accesses it for medical purposes, uh, which to me is just so backwards. That should be the priority. If anyone's going to do psilocybin, it should be with a doctor, right? Uh, but but here we are, right? It's 2023, and uh, just like back in the early or back in you know 2010 when there were cannabis dispensaries all over the place, we got the same thing happening with psilocybin. Um, so the fact that there's not more attention paid to this and that we're not looking into real solutions for these patients is absurd, but it certainly points back to some hidden agenda. Yeah, that's really well said. And I, I, you had mentioned this, this 
analogy to like the wild west and the more that the more that i listen to the words you just said it does seem like on some level like the local government's like look how much money and tax revenue we can do from here like how many people we can help from here and then you have this push from like the above federal level that's like well whoa, 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 we have contracts with these guys you know so it does seem like there's this kind of shootout at the okay corral what what's your take on the whole wild west and if you were to dig a little deeper into into this idea of of you can go down the street and buy it, but if you're someone who's at the end of life, you can't even get a doctor to get it. Like what? It just seems like such a crazy paradox there. Yeah, you know, but it it does feel like the Wild West a bit, yeah. and I've got my uh, I've got my reservations for the uh, Liberal Party right now and how they're they're handling it. I mean, individually, I've met some of the most amazing MPs ever. Right? Uh, they're they're so incredible. So many of them. Um, they've helped us, Jenna Catlin, Hetty Fry, Marcus Pulowski, uh, Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, like these, these politicians really, really care about this. Um, but the unfortunate thing, as far as I can see, uh, you know, regarding psilocybin and many things in Canada is, is the, the prime minister and the health ministers don't run the show anymore. You know, like the prime minister's office and the deputies behind them run it. Um, right. and I absolutely assume that they've got agendas. Um, and that uh, they are subject to, uh, I don't know, political bribery or whatever it is. Maybe <laughs> that's a hard way to put it. But yeah, like who's setting the agenda? Uh, I don't know. You'd think it would be like the Constitution. You're, you, you'd think that, <laughs> that the health minister would be able to respond to a clear violation of, of, of patients' rights and just do it. But it looks like the health minister is, is completely ignoring this. And they've probably got direct orders. Do not engage. Yeah. Um, now, Minister Patty Haiju, right? She engaged. She was wonderful. She also got moved from her position. <laughs> Imagine that. I wonder. Like, I'm not gonna. Again, I can't speculate. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that's why. Maybe it's not. But, uh, but the new ministers certainly didn't follow suit, right? Uh, and maybe were given direct orders there uh, because they've completely ignored the issue. Like, we've flown terminal cancer patients out to Ottawa to the nation's capital twice like a group of like six and doctors uh, saying we need to meet, right? These people are quite literally going to die. They completely ignored us. Like that's unfathomable. It, it truly is unfathomable. And, and that's happening right now. So there is a, I, I say with a certain level of confidence, somebody within the prime minister's office is telling our ministers of health, Sean Eve DeClos and Karen Bennett, do not engage, right? Do not even do not even respond to uh, to these people. Let it go to the courts or just ignore it. Um, I think that's tragic, right? Uh, I think I think this is a complete abdication of responsibility. Uh, and and when I zoom out even more, just very very poor governance from our government, who should be looking to either enforce the law or change it. Instead, we've got this absolute mess this wild west of like you know just just disorder if you will you know uh companies selling mushrooms and lsd and dmt operating with impunity uh you know uh, practitioners having to work underground patients moving underground uh and and our government just just completely ignoring ignoring the fact that this is happening that there's a charter challenge up against them, right? That they're being sued through the Supreme Court. And, and it looks like the easiest thing to do uh, is, is, 
is just ignore the issue until it's literally on their doorstep. Hopefully, uh, you know, uh, in a, in a couple of years, right. But not today. Yeah. I, I, it's incredible. It's, it's, I don't know how some people sleep at night, you know, I guess they sleep on a pillow made of money <laughs> or something, but <clears throat> you know, there's a quote that you said that I, I really admire. And it's that if the minister does not respond with compassion then the courts will respond with justice. And I, I love that you and the people on your team at Ferrisil are fighters and you guys are doing everything you can to bring the face of compassion to the doorstep of the regulators, to the doorstep of the government say, look, look at what's happening. And when you do that and the people turn away, it speaks volumes of who they truly are. Like, you know, I, I there's almost no words to explain the shame that those people should feel. You know, and <clears throat> recently there was a documentary with Lori Brooks called Dose. And I think that getting out there and, and showing the face of the people that are going through these end of life or going these tragedies and getting to participate at least on some level in that experience is like there's no words to explain how, how moving that is. How did that come about to be? Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, the documentary, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Dosed One, their original movie, uh, followed uh, a, a woman named Adrian uh, looking to use, uh, I think it was Ibogaine or Iboga. Um, and, and there was some amazing success with using it. I think it was to get off of opioids or, or alcohol. Um, so naturally, you know, with the success of that original movie, it was like, well, what about psilocybin? And they obviously saw the amazing advocacy that Laurie was, was doing. And, and there is an amazing, beautiful story behind every single dose of psilocybin. I think one that like most people aren't ready for, because, you know, what dose two, in my opinion, did is it took something that we keep talking about as just a medical treatment, yeah. right? Just a drug. And everybody who is opposed to psilocybin keeps referring to it as a drug. It's not a drug like, like it is, but it's not, that's it. It's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about taking a pill um, and expecting change. Like it is quite literally a journey, right? It is a trip and we call it a trip because like, just like a trip, you got to prepare for it. Yep. It's going to be a while. It's, you know, there's going to be unknowns. It's going to be scary. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be so many things. And Lori's story of those two really delves into that to, 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 to everything surrounding, you know, the taking of this medicine and quite frankly, the, the medical establishment, I mean, psychiatry is not ready for that. It's going to upend it. Um, and, and I think that that, that documentary is, is the per first preview into like, you know, what the future of psychotherapy could be, or at least one, one Avenue, right. And that is the, the anthenogenic or the psychedelic avenue where people use substances to help them to help change their consciousness and help them perceive you know themselves and all the hurts and, and their ego um the pain in a completely new light and that's what it really is it's a tool for a much broader psychotherapeutic journey or trip um dose two did a really good job of that and and i hope that we see more documentaries because there just is this fundamental misunderstanding maybe of, of what's going on, how psilocybin is working, that if, I mean, I could say this, this is true for so many things. If everyone just understood it, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. It, it, duh, it'd, be, it'd be allowed. Yeah, that's really well said. And I'm, I'm glad that this kind of information is coming to the foreground. There's another documentary called Peace of Mind that um, 
Nick Murray, who is, I think he's the CEO of Wake, and he has a place down in Jamaica where they took these, you know, ath- athletes from Canada, um, Riley Coat, the the hockey enforcer, and a bunch of people that had t- uh, traumatic brain injury and PTSD. And it was similar to the documentary Dose, but with like a different flavor, you know, and I, I think that these ideas of psilocybin and psychedelics that are helping people not only with psychiatric disorders, but actual traumatic injuries. And you could argue that end of life is both of those things. And to see these medicines come out and change people's perspectives in a way that is measurable. And by measurable, I mean, you don't need a, a bar graph. You don't need a sort of, you know, a brain imaging machine you can talk to their family and their family's tears are proof that it works. You know, like these, these real tangible things that can happen. And it, I'm, I'm positive and I'm, I am very thankful to see things moving the way they are. And the pushback we're getting, I, I think is going to be pushed away. I'm sure that there's a bigger fight coming, but it just seems like so many people are finding ways to reinvent or get to see themselves in a different perspective. And I, I do think when people take psilocybin, it's almost like you get a whole nother perspective of your life. It's almost like you get to get in contact with this version of yourself that's always been there, but you've never known. And when you do, it's like meeting yourself for the first time. I'm, I'm curious as to what are some of the, I, I was talking with John a little bit ago and he was telling me that, um, there are some other events on the horizon for Thera. So maybe you could talk about where you guys are at right now and some things that you have that are hopeful on the front lines coming up. For sure. Like, so one of the things is um, we just, we went to Ottawa. We've got a little documentary coming out. Nice. Uh, a mini doc. It's like 15 minutes long, but I think it's beautiful. And it outlines the trips that we made to Ottawa um, because, uh, because we had to go there. I think I'd mentioned yeah. we went twice to go see the minister. And we thought there's no way in hell the Minister of Health is going to publicly, uh, you know, uh, what's it, snub, right, uh, patients and doctors who are flying all the way out to Ottawa to essentially say, I'm going to die if you don't give me this medicine. And I really, I, I've been working on the delivery of this because I, I, I think it gets lost on people sometimes. But, you know, we often don't deal with things until it's too late, right? Um, let's just say that, you know, things aren't an issue until, until like it affects you. Um, you know, uh, a road closure in Toronto here, I think of, you know, like, yeah, the, the, the Don Valley Parkway is closed. Who cares? Right. That's everyone's attitude until they're, until they need to take that road. And then yeah. it's like, shit, what the hell? And so, you know, a lot of people in Canada um, are right now debating medical assistance in dying are, are, are medical suicide laws that are, due to expand they were supposed to expand this year um to allow people uh so the provisions essentially say that medical assistance in dying is available for anyone with an intractable illness who for whom death is foreseeable so it's like you're dying soon there's nothing we can do you're in a lot of pain it's the it's the humane thing to do right to offer that person death at least many people think so and our constitution or our charter supports that but then we had all these people arguing, well, what if death isn't foreseeable, right? What if I want to take, uh, what if I want to end my life because my, I'm not dying soon, but I still am in a lot of pain. And so we thought, well, let's do that too. And then it obviously expanded to what about 
people with severe mental illness, right? Like anxiety and depression. My whole day, I'm just depressed. I'm anxious. Um, I don't want to live anymore. Why are you forcing me to and to take ending my life into my hands? Why won't you support me medically and, and help me do it painlessly? And so again, uh, it was decided that we would make that change. And that was set to happen in uh, February of 2023. So a couple months ago. And we were going to Ottawa the same month to more or less protest, protest and say, what the hell, right? We are now at a point where we are telling people, uh, you know, because you've tried all the available treatments and failed them, we will now help you end your life. We'll prioritize that for you. But here's the kicker. The same government is withholding treatments that could be very, very effective. In fact, 80% effective in treating their underlying illness, their mental illness, depression, anxiety. That is, oh my, like, that makes me so angry, right? That that's what's happening. That's the state of Canadian healthcare. We are prioritizing medical assisted death over medical psilocybin, right? We're prioritizing medical assistance in dying over medical assistance in living. Sorry, that's the way it is. That's the truth. We had gotten to Ottawa and sure enough, many Canadians decided that they were uncomfortable and they actually pushed the decision out a year. So while we were there, uh, we, we actually got to meet with the MAID committee, both myself and a doctor on our team uh, gave testimonies. And the, the committee who runs medical assistance in dying actually said and made a recommendation to the federal government that they actually expand access to psilocybin because of this. Um, here we are, you know, almost halfway through the year, still no progress has been made. I just know if we're going to get to next February, right? And it's going to be like, well, do we expand this thing? right do do we let people end their life and and i dread the day that a single canadian uh you know uh is helped with medical assistance in dying um for for uh, treatment resistant depression or anxiety before they're presented the option of psilocybin because i've seen it work i i, I still struggle to find the words for it and it really just comes down to like what if one of my friends or family members needs to use that road soon Right. How many Canadians uh, are there out there who don't realize that that could be them, that could be their loved ones, that could be someone that they know having to make this decision of like, do I take my life right now or is there a potential uh, potential solution called psilocybin? Right. Just just one of many. There are obviously many other social determinants of health that are problematic there. Right. A lot of people are looking to made or medical assistance in dying because they don't have housing or uh, or, or are being pushed uh, by not so great healthcare professionals who don't see any other options for treatment. So there are lots of issues, but, but certainly there's this logical and moral inconsistency. Uh, and, and the government seems to want to prioritize medical assistance in dying over medical access to psilocybin. That's unconscionable. It's reprehensible, quite frankly. And that is on Justin Trudeau, Jean-Yves Duclos and Caroline Bennett. They're the only ones who can fix that. I can't imagine like it. I'm, I can't imagine that the more stories that come, first off, I'm so thankful you're here telling the story today, because I think that the more people who begin to hear this story, the more people that see the documentaries and the more people whose lives are touched by someone who's taken their own life or someone that has depression or someone themselves has gone through a depressive state. Like it seems to me as, as horrible and as unconscionable as it is, 
I think it's a great opportunity because I think we're beginning to see policy made from the ground up. And like, that's where the real change happens. It doesn't happen from the top down. It happens from the bottom up. And I think that yourself and Theracell are a great sort of story. Like you guys are the hero's journey. You are the guys taking the fight to the doorstep of the, of the threshold guardian. It's like, Hey, this is not right. We're, we're going to stand up. And we're going to fight for this. And, if you, I don't care what great novel you read or what movie you've ever loved, like this is something that everybody can get behind because this is our chance as a human culture to get behind a good fight that stands up for the little guy, that stands up for the little girl, that stands up for the person with a problem. And I'm I'm thankful. Is that what gives you the drive to continue on the fight? Like, what is the the mission statement that you and the team and everyone fighting with you are are rallying behind? Uh, it, it certainly is. You know, to continue this as a grassroots, uh, you know, uh, solution to a, a crisis. You're. I think you're right on the mark here. Like, you know, let's just even say that innovation on psychic innovation. This is just the beginning. Like we're at like this yeah. little tiny, like we, we don't even know what these things really do. Speaking medically and scientifically, Western medicine like doesn't really understand them. Uh, innovation doesn't happen in the lab. It doesn't. It happens during the real world, right? Once we get this into the hands of psychotherapists and, and yeah. people who start experimenting, like, and that's just a math equation, right? That's just number of interactions and, and different diverse, you know, uh, procedures and protocols being used. We're just going to discover so much more once we give people the freedom to to use and experiment this with uh, with psychedelics. So um, this idea that the government is going to help you uh, uh, again is is absurd, absolutely absurd. Um, as first of all, as an individual, you're just a you know you're you're a fish in the ocean. Right. Um, as far as I can tell, and again, I'm just speaking in my experience. Right. I would love for people to. To, to prove me wrong, but I also, I just don't expect it. Uh, I don't think that the government is there to hold your hand or to help you, nor should I, nor do I think we should want that, right? Like we should want the freedom and, and to build the infrastructure to help ourselves. Um, you know, that, that is the point of, of becoming independent. Um, we should allow, you know, our government should help us help ourselves and make our own decisions for us. Uh, we, we don't need them giving us handouts or anything like that. They should just create the conditions economically, the health conditions where we can where we can really help ourselves. And, and it's not a against government. I think government's wonderful. You know, there are things they need to do. Defense, uh, you know, public infrastructure. Right. I think of you know what really changed Europe and and made made it the way it was. Um, sewers. Right. Like we got past this point of. Uh, of realizing that we need a government, a central authority to, to put in sewers because one man's, you know, mess and, and cesspit is someone else's disease. And so the second we got sewers and, and, and plumbing, all of a sudden infectious disease went away. Uh, and what else did we see is like, we also saw a free society come out of that, a liberal one that was uh, very, very uh, able to take care of itself and, and to self-organize and manage and and so similarly here, we don't need the government to, uh, you know, we shouldn't have the government telling us who can access psilocybin, um, you know, making it illegal on the basis of zero scientific evidence, right? Where's the evidence to show that psilocybin is harmful? There is none. 
Um, we don't need them to do that. We need them to get out of the way and let doctors practice medicine, let people make their own decisions uh, because they just don't care about you. They don't care about Janice Hughes. They don't care about Thomas Hartle. They don't care about Lori Brooks in our experience. I can tell you that they don't respond to their emails. Uh, they seem to be prioritizing medical assistance and dying over access to a mushroom. Uh, the best thing they could do is create regulations that put this into the hands of doctors and therapists so that they can help these people access medicine. And really that's what we're trying to recreate here. The people and the infrastructure to bring psilocybin to patients exists, right? It's the doctors and therapists and nurses who just need a legal pathway so that they can learn, get the training. That's why we provide training. Uh, you know, we, it's all right in front of us. The government needs to get out of the way. They really do. I don't, what a strange world where a manager tells a doctor that the doctor shouldn't be doing something, you know, <laughs> like that's so bizarre to me. Yeah. I mean, in this special <laughs> access program that I had mentioned, we had bureaucrats at health Canada, right? unknown bureaucrats, not doctors telling the doctor, I think your patient needs to try electroconvulsive therapy, right? Electric shock therapy before they access psilocybin. And our, the doctors said, are you kidding me? Right? It's like, you try electric shock therapy <laughs> and then come back and, and tell me if, if that's a real option, right? Like preposterous, absolutely preposterous. Um, and quite frankly, illegal. That's my, that's my claim. It's, mm. It goes against the charter, right? It goes against, so maybe not illegal, but uh, against the constitution, right? Uh, that's, that's not right. So it's just, we have to prove that now. Um, and really, that's why these places are are operating with impunity right now. Uh, you know, selling mushrooms across Canada is the government knows that they're that they're going against the charter. They know that. Otherwise, they would enforce the law. They know they can't because if they charge these places who are supplying medical psilocybin, they know that they will lose in court. Like, digest that for a second. The same government who's telling cancer patients and doctors, no, you can't access this. We go, well, why aren't, like, should we just go buy it on the street? Because it, we can do that. Why aren't you enforcing the laws there? They go silent. They go, oh, yeah, we can't talk about that. I know the answer, right? The answer is, the answer is, uh, if they bring that to the courts, the courts will, will side with the people selling the mushrooms, right? They know they've got a losing case. They're not dumb. Um, and that's been part of the very interesting, uh, you know, for me, it's been very interesting bringing this court case forward. Um, is it's much easier to get charged by the government and have a constitutional challenge when the government's pressing the charges like they did with cannabis. It's much more difficult when you have to bring the constitutional challenge to the government, which is what we're doing. Um, you know, we've, we've got eight patient plaintiffs that have their own court case, um, a constitutional challenge with, with Paul Lewin being the lead lawyer on that. Um, we're, Uh, we've probably fundraised about $150,000. We're going to need money in order to continue that. Um, but, but yeah, like uh, it, that's just the way it is. You want to change the law. Uh, government's not going to do it, right? You got, you got to fundraise the money and bring the constitutional challenge to them. Yeah, that's a great point. For those who may not know the, the, the statues up there, can you explain to them like why, would the government lose to the people that own the storefront mushroom shops? For sure. So what became incredibly clear and, and any regardless of, uh, of their legal knowledge base 
uh, can understand that psilocybin and cannabis are similar. And even in some ways, access to medical assisted dying and abortion and cannabis are all very similar too. Um, it all rests on the same case law. And you can go back and look at those cases, the Carter case, um, uh, Parker case, uh, a couple others skipping my mind right now. Um, look up um, Henry Morgenthaler, right? Like these are these are people who went went to court and using actually. So Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, is is the person who brought forward our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Uh, so I think it's ironic that Justin Trudeau is totally. betraying his father's wish to have a constitution that's followed, and is actively going against it. I think the irony there is disgusting, um, but. Uh, this charter has this clause in it, section seven, that says every Canadian has the right to life, liberty, and security of persons. And all of the cases that I've referenced keep coming back to this. And it's like, you have the right to, li to liberty, right? Liberty to make your own medical decisions about, about yourself. You have the right to, to, to life. goes without saying, right? Government says, uh, we'll help you end your life. And you go, well, what about my right to life? Right? It's all I need is psilocybin. That one's pretty easy to understand. And then security of persons just means that you should be able to access your medicine without the threat of going to jail. That's not security of persons, right? So all that to say, using that same Charter 7 argument, uh, we've made the case that people have the right to choose uh, to end their life with medical assistance in dying. For me, after that one, it's like, well, you have the right to anything almost, right? Like that's just, that's landmark. But it also applies to the right to make your own choices about your body with uh, with abortion in Canada, uh, and the right to medical cannabis for the same reasons. So the consistencies there are, are so obvious. Canadians have the right to access medical treatments that they want, right? Especially when it's supported by their doctor, right? And anything to infringe them uh, or to, to make, you know, make it possibly unsafe or illegal or inaccessible goes against the charter. Um, and so the government knows that if they try to charge these medical dispensaries, who every time you go into one, you just have to say, I'm using this for medical purposes, and, and you likely are. Um, they know that if they try to bring those, those, those companies and people who are selling that to court, that those people will just get the lawyers that we're working with and say, how do I defend myself? And the lawyer will go, well, that's easy. Section <laughs> seven of the charter. And they go, oh, crap. Okay. So right now, like I know the lawyers who are advising all of those people who are acting, who are their clients saying, you don't have to worry about the, the, the police there. You don't have to worry about any of that. Like, you're, you're not breaking any, you're, like you're breaking laws. Sure. But those laws go against the charter. So you don't have to worry. We'll, we'll, we'll defend you. And so that's, that's the pre, that's the pretext of those businesses and, and, and of the decisions to sell psilocybin is, is you're operating, you, you can operate with impunity because we, we know what the outcome of this, of this court case would be. So in a way, it's like good for them. They're selling mushrooms and that's happening every single day. The government knows it as well. And I'm happy to be proven wrong on this. I mean, it seems the only way to prove me wrong would be like, well, then do it, right? <laughs> Go get the, get the government to, to charge you. And then there's a world, I think, where, you know, we get like a thousand people just to bring a bag of mushrooms to Parliament Hill and we demand to be arrested. <laughs> it I love won't it. happen. It won't happen. You know, 
So I think there's something cool in that. It might be that maybe uh yeah, maybe there's a, a future campaign where we do something like that, get a real march going. Um, because yeah, like I said to you before, it's like shit or get off the pot, right? Like all we're doing is completely mismanaging the country, and that's coming from the highest levels of government. Um, it's it's a disgrace. Yeah, sometimes I have this idea that psychedelics or psilocybin is like this trojan horse that like all of a sudden like people get on board with like governments or pharmaceutical companies that get on board with whether they're trying to create a patent for it and then they start using it and then they realize everything they're doing is wrong you know it seems that psilocybin or psychedelics have this property of dissolving boundaries and i see that happening not only when i take them or people that i know take them but I see it happening in society itself where, you know, once you begin seeing things from a different perspective, you start realizing like, God, look at this boundary. This is not, this is not like, like a, if you think of a law as a boundary and the way that psychedelics are pushing up against those boundaries, they're dissolving those boundaries. People are beginning to see like this law is kind of BS, man, or this is ridiculous. And it seems that this maybe, maybe if we, go with the premise of as above, so below. The same thing that's happening in the fight with psychedelics is also happening in our societies. Can you see like the, this, can you see that happening too? It seems like this is something that's bigger than just psychedelics and laws, but it seems that there's a whole kind of boundary dissolution happening in, in our societies. Do you see something on a bigger scale happening as well? I mean, I, I totally do. That's not lost on me, right? There's <laughs> an incredible amount of distrust going on in the world right now right um, people believing that institutions are lying to them um and and that's unfortunate because that's not how society works society needs trust yeah. right it, it needs institutional trust and and we need to be you know uh operating in a way that the people aren't aren't gonna fight everything and be against everything and public health has suffered the greatest since COVID. Uh, yeah. I, I won't speak about, you know, whether or not COVID vaccines work or not, or mandates work or masks. It doesn't matter. What I can do is say that whoever pulled off that whole thing did a terrible job and, and it eroded a lot of public trust. And I'm not saying I could do better. I'm just saying that it was done incredibly poorly and that people are more divisive and divided. We saw the truckers in Canada, you know, protesting. Um, it was not a small issue. Um, and so when our medical establishment acts in bad faith and gets caught, I have no remorse for them. It's like someone needs to be fired here and we need better people doing this. And, and that's what I'm seeing. Uh, something yeah. I've got to explain and put out there is we actually have two court cases going right now. Uh, at times we have three. We're working with another lawyer named Nicholas Pope. Um, who's been helping the hundreds of healthcare practitioners who had gotten exemptions to use psilocybin um, or who had applied for the same exemptions that the first, you know, 20 doctors had gotten. I had mentioned that we started off under Minister Haiju getting these Section 56, as they're called. Um, the new ministers have been ignoring them. And so there's about like 300 outstanding exemptions that are just being ignored. And so this, this, this lawyer, Nicholas Pope, is going, well, we can force them to make a decision and we can actually get a judge to, to make a ruling if the, if the decision goes against the constitution. So the decision wouldn't legalize psilocybin. It would just legalize it for those people. Mm. So we're only a couple months away from, from we've had our hearing and everything. The decision is going to be made in the next couple of months, but 
this is the most amazing part is the evidence that we got to see because they had to share their documents with us showed us three examples of the government acting in bad faith like lying you know and and that is the first one uh, is they made these claims that um you know a clinical trial would be the best possible route for us right that the politicians should go the route of clinical trials well we got access to all their documents and we had their internal specialists um so health canada's own experts saying clinical trials are impossible you can't do it for this purpose it's it just wouldn't work you can't have a sponsor running it and it's unethical to ask a question for which you already know the answer to or for which there is no need so they lied on that front uh, <laughs> they also lied uh and said that you know we um uh, that it's it's not necessary for healthcare practitioners to have access to psilocybin for training. Um, their own experts said we advise that you do this. It's unsafe and it, it doesn't follow any of the best practices of psychotherapy um, to uh, to not have healthcare professionals trained in the modality before they deliver it. Health Canada said there's no evidence or no no suggesting that you actually even need this. And then finally they said there's no evidence saying that psilocybin is safe and effective. And it's like it's the most blatant lie of them all. There is right. so much evidence and they ignored our, our question of where it shows they didn't provide any. So this is the same thing as like, you know, this, this, this larger issue of like, how does any government expect to be taken seriously if they lie to people? This is, this is, you know, there are some days where I'm like, I honestly, not that we need revolution, but <laughs> we need to fix this problem. Right. We know how government should work. We do. We know how health authorities should work. They should not act in bad faith, especially not Health Canada. Yet they are. That's a charge I'm making. Right. That's the charge we're making in our court case. And we're going to find out the answer to that really, really soon. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, seeing all the evidence and with our lawyer, we're going to win that case. I know we are. Um, we're going to be proven right. And that's going to be embarrassing for the government it, it really will be and and so when you say that you know as above so below right like we're we're seeing that that, that these these institutions are not immune from a scandal uh, right. from uh, from from poor management that's what we're seeing right now the government is poorly managing these drug laws uh you know they're at least in the case of psilocybin uh, i've got a i've got an I've got a view of that, right? That, that not many people do. And it's, it's unfortunate to see, to see the way that it's panning out. It, it really is. I really hope that we can bring some reasonable psilocybin regulations forward. That might be a good start uh, and, and prove that, you know, next time we need to do this, we don't need to go to the courts. The government doesn't have to act so shade. They actually work with politicians, with doctors and patients um to you know bring forward regulations for for new drugs that may be available uh through slightly different pathways right maybe not through through, through clinical trials or, or through the traditional um clinical trial pathway where you actually approve a drug um that comes from a pharmaceutical company man I, i'm so i'm proud man thank you spencer thank theracil thank you i mean i i'm so stoked to see people that are in, in a way this is the the emerging fight that's beginning to happen everywhere. You know, in the U.S., we have places like Colorado and Oregon, and they have got their own battles they're fighting. But it seems to me that Canada is is on the forefront up there, and they are shining a light on the pathway forward. And I'm I'm so 
thankful that there's people that are out there fighting, that are strategizing, that are working together to bring solutions to people that need it the most and pointing out the hypocrisies and fighting the good fight. You know, do you think if you were to put on your your hat for the future, like this could have long-term ramifications for the medical industry forever. Like there's there's ways that this could change clinical trials forever. There's ways that this could change the relationship between governments and people and medicine. Are there some 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 ideas that you think worthy about thinking about for changing the process of the medical and, and relationships to, to drugs and people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we need a restructuring of, uh, you know, I think there is ne- there is a need for restructuring the relationship of pharmaceutical companies and politicians and medical establishments. I'm just going to say it. There is a major conflict yeah. of interest that is not discussed. Um, yeah. And, and the, the, pharmaceutical industrial complex uh, has far too much power, far, far too much political power. Um, and, and I don't like that at all. Um, you know, I, I think that yeah. the, the best thing we could do is, is take funding, you know, from NIH or, or CIHR funding, right, our government funding, and, and be fund and be putting more money uh, into, you know, organizations like such as our own that are trying to do real science and research on 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 drugs like this without any need of you know of of making a profit for ourselves right that's why we're a nonprofit. now it's it's not an attack on capitalism capitalism's great it's just you need really really good policies for ensuring that there is a barrier between private companies and government i do not see such barrier uh when it comes to many pharmaceutical companies and the medical establishment and, and the government i it's something that i would love to personally get more into uh, I, w- I would love to 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 expand my career to take on that a bit more. I, I think that would be amazing. And then um, maybe just to, to wind it back to, you know, another solution I see um, goes back to one of your original questions of like, you know, we were talking about the, this hero's journey, right? Like what, what can be done? Um, we, we can't expect anybody else but ourselves to solve this problem. And I always go back to like, what do psychedelics tell you? What what is one of the greatest things is like it gives you the absolute power to uh, or what's the word right word um, it makes it very clear that you are the one with agency to to change the world right at least your world and the world of people yeah. around you so um, I think that that's something that that psychedelics I, I hope will bring to the world is this this return to conscientiousness um, that that we really are, you know, capable of, of massive, massive change in this world and that our votes matter, our voices matter, um, everything that we do matters. And, and if we don't look at the world through that lens, our society could very well collapse, right? We cannot take that for granted, the fact that the lights are on every day, um, the fact that we don't have an authoritarian government, at least uh, not yet. Um, and, and the fact that we have these freedoms, that we have a charter, like there needs to be a certain amount of gratitude for that. Uh, and, and letting tra- uh, letting, uh, letting things like, like what's going on with these patients who are trying to access psilocybin, uh, letting these go unnoticed and not treating them with a, with a great deal of seriousness is a perfect example of how, if left unchecked, 
that could just that could just you know that could just cascade into in, into into more and more and more civil rights issues where where we don't even up we don't even uphold the laws that we've created to protect people. So that's where I see this going, uh, and I, I see it as every individual's responsibility in the Western, well, not even just the Western, in the world to uphold the values uh, of, 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 of their society, of, of the US constitution, right? Of the Canadian charter. Um, that's the world I know very, very well. And, and it's the one that I wanna see continue to succeed. And if we're gonna do that, people need to take on a lot more personal responsibility uh, and, and need to realize that, that they are agents of change. They have agency to do that. I hope psychedelics will, will wake that up in people. Something needs to. That's beautiful. I, I agree. I, I think that the way we move forward is by everybody becoming the best version of themselves. And the first step there is just having the courage to know that you can be better. And then the next step is like, okay, I'm going to read this book today. I'm going to go for a walk today. What, whatever that first step is, beginning to have the faith and courage in yourself to become the best you can leads you to the destination of like, we need to take care of the least among us over here. Because the people in charge right now on some level are the least among us, you know, and this idea of when we look at, you know, it saddens me to think, at least in my government, where I, I look and see people talk about, you know, corporations and government, but it's in well in, in socialism and capitalism. And it seems that what we have is like this form of corporate socialism where you just privatize all the profits and you socialize all the losses. And it seems to me like that's one thing that's, you know, that's, that's what psychedelics is bringing to the forefront. Like, look, this is just complete privatization. And we're seeing people in hospitals that, that Hey, you can have assisted suicide because that way you're no longer a burden on us, but you can't have this medicine that might make you better. Cause then we're gonna have to pay for you longer. You know, and it, it saddens me to think, but I think when you wipe away the dirt from the screen or when you cleanse the doors of perception, that's exactly what's going on. It's that the people at the top have seen everybody down here at the bottom is like this number. Okay, fine. You're, you're depressed. Then just kill yourself. You know, don't take this thing that'll make you better because then you might have some animosity towards us. It's I don't, I don't want to go too diabolical on everybody, but that's kind of the way I see it, too. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's got to change. Um and yeah, you know, I think sometimes uh, I think that one of the reasons that I've gotten so much more into, let's say, like uh, religion and divinity, right. uh, not that I'm like a, a Bible thumper or anything, but it really has become more interesting to me is that, you know, in what I've read, it, like that's a lot of what at least Christianity had to offer people was, was this idea that... Um, you have agency and that it's a virtue uh, to take part in society and uh, and to do your best, like you said, to take care of the least among you, right? That was that was what Christianity professed to do was to be the religion for the poor, for the weak, um, and, and to actually take care. Um, and that's, I'm not saying that it has to be through Christianity or through Buddhism or through Islam. I'm just saying that these are moral foundations that we all share, whether or not we read a book, right? Whether or not we we uh, we were professed to be part of some, um, you know, uh, some religion um, or some creed. So I think there's needs there's a need for a little bit of a return to that uh, of of you know a 
a moral philosophy that 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 allows us to all be like, hey, we've actually got a goal here. It is to help. Uh, it is to help people who are uh, who are suffering right now. Um, and if we aren't taking care of that, doesn't matter how much money we have. Uh, you know, how, how could we possibly live in a world where we see people suffering the way they are? Right. That that should 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 be the one of the most important things that we do is is take care of people who are in abject mis pain and suffering. Really is the goal at the end of the day of, of Therisil and, and what we're doing, right? People, as you say, have the right to die. They're suffering. Let's work together and help them. Let's profits aside for a second. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you brought up this idea of spirituality because that's something that seems to permeate the psychedelic experience. And regardless of what denomination anybody is, you know, I, I think that this return to spirituality is, in fact, the moral foundation we need to move forward. And it, it does seem to me that it's a spiritual event to see someone who was addicted to something take this substance that comes from the ground, not only get better, but then become an advocate to help other people that are going through that journey. And I see that a lot. Like I see the person that was on the edge or the precipice of the cliff ready to jump and they they get this spark in them, whether it's ibogaine or psilocybin or some sort of entheogen, and all of a sudden they're given the knowledge of how to fix themselves, but they don't just use it for themselves. They take that knowledge and then they open a center and then they become this guiding light for other people. And that's the spiritual nature that I'm seeing. So like you said, it doesn't have to be Christianity or Buddhism, but it's to God. see that take place. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. And that's, that's going to, I think that that is going to be, it's like the hyphae that grows together on a, and when you're growing psilocybin, you can see our community growing together in a way that is spiritual in nature. I'm wondering, maybe you could talk a little bit about, a little bit more about spirituality and the nature of it in this psychedelic space. Absolutely. I mean, I would just say that I don't think it's any coincidence that many of the people that we've treated, no matter how how much of an atheist they are, end up having psychedelic experiences with Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's like, what what gives, right? Or God, let's just say. Right. And I think that's the word I want to start using because I I don't think psychedelics or, or that I don't want to push anyone, uh, you know, religious creed. I, I think it's just like God. I think that God, and here's my belief, not in no way am I pushing on anyone. <laughs> I think every human being has a God-shaped uh, you know, either whole or peace in their heart and that those without God have a God-shaped hole and they need something to fill it. Mm. And I see people become, you know, radical extremists of this belief or that belief, you know, always an ism or a, yeah. or something like that, right? They, they, they take on this seemingly religious kind of zealousy of, of pushing their cause forward. Um, and, and it comes back to like, I think that's what happens when you have this lack of spirituality, this, this God-shaped hole in your heart. Um, what is purpose? And I, I do believe that in this statement that if there is no God, there is no purpose. Mm. I think that is a, is a human fundamental to have a God. I'm not saying which one. I'm just saying to believe yeah. that there is something greater in this life than waking up and making money and eating and having sex. You know, it's like, there is something better. And so again, I think it's no coincidence that AA, right, is so heavily like God-based, right? Is like 
believing in God and that there is a God and that there is like someone out there, uh, you know, who's above you and, and might be able to help you. Uh, I think that that's necessary to have purpose in life and to believe in that because it's a, it's a motivation. I'm not saying everyone needs it. I know lots of people who don't believe in God and they're doing great. Um, but you know, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, like thousands of years, we've, there have been, you know, uh, there's been a belief in God in a God or, or some spirits and it's really served people. Uh, I don't, I don't think we're as smart as we think we are where we just think we can do away with that and we'll be fine. I call BS. Um, I think that this spirituality, that these age old golden philosophies, right? Thou shall not kill, uh, you know, uh, and, and there are many, many, many yeah. others, right? You can look at the 10 commandments for a starter. And I'm sure there's lots of other religions, right? These, these foundational beliefs, the golden rule, right? These things are like thousands of years old, right? Just to throw them aside and be like, oh, yeah, it's a bunch of, bunch of pagan bullshit, you know, <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. And, and we've got to seriously reconsider that, um, you know, how we do that, it'll have to be done with grace, right? I would, I would never want anyone pushing their, their religious beliefs on, on anyone else, but um, I can certainly see a nice diverse world where we all believe in different things and are, and we honor that. Um, and, and perhaps psychedelics will integrate its way into all of those, uh, into those different religions or, or spiritual beliefs. So I, I, see, I see God as, as purpose. Uh, at least it's it's played a huge role in my life. Yeah, I love the way you explain that. You know, for me, you know, when I, sometimes I th when I think of God, I think of Christopher Hitchens. Not that Christopher Hitchens is a God, but Christopher Hitchens wrote the book that God isn't great. And he argued so elegantly for like this not having a God. But I can't help but disagree with the point of like believing in something bigger than yourself regardless of what it is, can tie you to someone in a different part of the world who also believes in something bigger than themselves. And even though those things may be different, the idea that you both believe in something bigger than yourself is something that should unite you. And it shouldn't matter. Your, you know, it's, and that's the foundation, I think, for this idea of spirituality. And I think that that's something that brings spirituality to the forefront. And you know, there's, there's, if you look at biblical quotes, there's this great quote that says, without a vision, the people perish. And it doesn't matter what your vision is, but you got to have this vision of something bigger because that's where faith comes from. And maybe that's why we are seeing the people at the end of their life on the front lines of this fight, because they're closest to this transcendental object at the end of time. And they're somehow in communion with it. And they're bringing this thing back the same way when you and I find ourselves on a high dose psychedelic trip trying to bring something back so too is someone at the end of their life trying to bring something back. And it's this idea of sharing that thing. And I think that, I think that that's what Theracell is doing, Spencer. I think that you guys are bringing something back from this space and you're using it to fight the good fight, man. I'm so excited for you guys. Thank you. And I, I agree with everything you just said, right? <laughs> like those without faith or purpose perish. Um, I think that's totally it, right? I think we live in a society that is, uh, void of of any hope right of any meaning uh i think that's sad right it's like if you don't believe in 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 god if you don't believe in this collectivism right that there is this purpose why not just be a nihilistic asshole right <laughs> why not just why not just do everything for yourself and be you know scrooge mcduck right getting everything for yourself and for no one else um 
I, I think that you know, I, I think that that's that's maybe what's happening a little a little too much. It's permeating itself uh, in the fabrics of our of our society these days, and um, and to just you know, with without God or or any religious philosophy claim that no, I'm a good person. I believe in these things because I discovered them. It's like no, you didn't. You didn't. <laughs> it took humanity thousands and thousands right. of years to discover those things and get them right. Right. Uh, right. You stand on the shoulders of giants of your ancestors who died and fought for those values and, and you know suffered when they were lost and benefited when they were followed. Uh, I really hope we we have a a return to that. And again, like yes, yeah, psychedelics are a return to that. Maybe, maybe not. If not done the right way, if not respected greatly, um, they're, they're, and that is something. I mean, if you don't use them right, sure, work right. If you don't use them right, you can be abused by your therapist. If you don't use them right, it can send you into a terrible psychosis. And so they're dangerous too. Um, but if used right, they can be beautiful. They can return you to, to, to consciousness and uh, and make your life better and, and teach you amazing, beautiful things. Um, I hope that, that that's, the, that's, that's what will come of them. Yeah, I, I do. And I, you know, I'm reminded of... Uh... When, when I think about psychedelics, I'm I'm reminded of some things that I, I recently saw this thing with Ramdas, and he was talking about how people take themselves really seriously. And it seems that psychedelics in so, on some level are evoking the the gods of humor, whether it's coyote or Hayoka or you know, they, they have like their own sense of humor to them. And it, it allows you to kind of laugh at the person that is like just accumulating everything and they're like all bummed out. Like I feel bad for that person, but at the same time, it's kind of funny and it kind of gives people the courage to fight against that corruption. When you see people in government that are like, I got this government contract, you know, maybe the answer to all this corruption is humor. And it's, it may be a dark humor. It may be like, how can you look at these people and, and not, do you have any idea how ridiculous it is that you guys see all this in front of you and you have the answers and you refuse to do it? But on some level, I think that there's there's that I hate to say a dark side of spirituality, but like there's this dark humor that forces people to laugh in the face of tragedy. And I think that that's another aspect of spirituality that psychedelics is bringing. Is that does that make sense at all? Oh, I, I love the example, you know, like me and my friends at the gym. Uh, always used to, you know, whenever you're on the bench press or squatting, you try to make the other person laugh. And <laughs> the reason is because if you're laughing, your muscles stop working. They stop. And I think that's something that like, I, I hope we study more. Like, why is it that when we laugh, all of our organs, or not our organs, but our, our extremity, like our, our limbs give out? Uh, I think it's it's for beautiful reasons, right? I think it's because it's like, it's the thing that has evolved. I think it's no, it's no like mystery, right? It's like, that was an evolved thing uh, to help us digest concepts that, that otherwise maybe were very difficult. And so the, the fool in the King's court, yeah. right. Wasn't just the person who told the truth to the King, right. He did it in a way that was funny so that the King could laugh at himself. And, and in a way he was the only one that was allowed to tell the truth, right. Because sometimes and that's what like all my favorite comedy is, right is it's the truth and you laugh before you even really think about it, right? People who like, you know, maybe totally like their agenda is completely opposite to what you're saying. We've all seen it. 
once right. once they laugh you're like oh i got you and it's because it's like you just did right you just you got them and i think of myself right like when i whenever i was young that was my tactic on my parents if they were ever really upset i'd make them laugh but the second they start laughing i'm like i'm good yeah. you know like, yeah because like, it disarms them and and we all see that you know I, I think everyone's experienced that at some point in their life so i love that you said that laughter <laughs> right that the humor um humor is the greatest way to disarm terrible things right yeah. if you bring you know someone and someone start stops taking them seriously and and the truth is that like everybody needs to do that in a way right we're, we're all too committed to the wrong things it's like just relax take it easy uh you know stop taking yourself so seriously you're probably wrong you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's super true it's it's it is like the great equalizer and i think that that's you know again that's the hero's journey too is is getting to this point where you're on i, I think it was alan watts who said once you achieve satori all that's left to do is have a good laugh right yeah. like <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Spencer, I, I I love talking to you, man. And I'm so thankful that I got to spend some time with you today. I'm going to be doing some panels in the future. So you're going to be on my short list. I'd love to have you come back and have a fuller discussion with more people where we could bounce more ideas off, off each other. But uh, be, yeah, man, me too. And maybe we'll, we, we can, maybe we can start doing some practical jokes in the community or something, but um, <laughs> that'd be a great thing to do, right? If there are any funny people out there who want to help us uh, lobby the Canadian government and uh, are good writers or anything, hook me. Yeah, hook yeah. Me because uh, I, would, I would, I think we could definitely use some some humor in our campaigns. I know the perfect people. I know the perfect people. Um, the ch there's okay. I'll, I'll hook you guys up. There's I know these guys that have like a, a meme page. They're they're all about omnism, and they have this meme page it has like eighty thousand followers, and they just have constant memes and they're all super funny so i'll put you guys in contact and uh and we'll, we'll move it forward but before i let you go um i know that there was a call to action you put out i'm going to post it on my page so people can make the videos but maybe you could talk about the call to action what you got coming up and where people can find you if they want to get um more acquainted with your campaign and what they can do yeah for sure yeah you know like i was saying before if uh if people started to realize how this would affect them um, right. And how one day they might need this road. I, I would hope that I can communicate to them that, you know, that the opportunity to act is right now, right. We've got, uh, we've got the opportunity to put these videos together and I, we kind of passed over this in the show, uh, or in the, in the podcast. Mm. I, I really should mention that. Let's talk. Let's, let's, let's I got plenty of time. Okay. If you will, please, let's cover it. Wonderful. So, you know, the way that we got the minister, minister Haiju or Patty Haiju to, to respond, um, we had a team of about six people. No one knew who Theresa was. Um, and we, we had that small kind of team, Bruce and his, a couple of clinicians and, and two patients. Um, and we were just putting out videos and over the course of a hundred days, we put out a video every day and the video would be like this, new minister. My name is, you know, I'm either a doctor, a therapist or a patient. Um, you know, if I'm a patient, it's like, you've given me the right to die with medical assistance in dying. Yet here I am waiting for, you know, 10 days. 20 days, 30 days, a hundred days. And for the doctors, like my patient's been waiting a hundred days, right? And it was a count up. It was just little videos. These videos worked, right? Like people saw these videos, the yeah. ministers saw the videos. And I, I don't even think we, it's been many years of video content and videos are so powerful. 
So were we starting that campaign? It worked when we only had like six people. Now we've got like thousands of people. And again, the great irony is now that I guess there's thousands of people, it's never been harder to get even one of them to put together a video. <laughs> uh, and and I understand why. It's like that's that's like this. It's this uh, fallacy, right? That the more people dedicated to a cause, the more you just seem to think, oh, someone else will do it. And it's like that's where we're at right now. Is I couldn't tell you how hard it is to get one person. Uh, to show some public support for psilocybin or these patients and to make a video. So yeah, we've got this call to action video campaign. Uh, I don't want one or two people. I need like 3000 people making videos. Uh, and if we, if we could just get that, if we could get people calling out Justin Trudeau, Jean-Yves Declos, Caroline Bennett, just telling their story of why we need psilocybin in like a 10 to 20 second or 30 second video. Um, once we start publishing those online, uh, you know, Politicians yeah. can't ignore that, right? They can't ignore those kinds of things. When they're getting called out in video and it's all over social media, it's like, oh, crap, we got to respond. We can't just respond in a letter, right? We've got to respond publicly too. So yep. keeping conversations public the way we are uh, demands public response, and that's what we want, public response. So uh, that call to action, it, it should be on our website. Uh, if you're not a Theracil member too, I should mention, like, everything we do is is funded through donations and it's just people becoming a member of the organization uh so they can sign up online i think we send this out to our members but we might expand it soon um so yeah if if any of your listeners want to support the way to do that is to become a member um and to take part in this advocacy uh i think that i, I realize you probably got a lot of uh, american viewers but uh kind of hint hint nudge nudge we're we're working on a on a us expansion of, of our of our overall program too so uh we're hoping very soon we can expand our training maybe even clinical access down to the us yeah and i don't see any reason why someone who who has a who has had a incredible experience with psilocybin couldn't make a video and explain it too i mean i think that we're all in this together and the more the merrier and i i love that idea like this might be well i've heard about it before the idea of starting a campaign where someone could take 30 seconds out of their day to make someone's last moments beautiful or to really have an impact. Like 30 seconds of your day is nothing. Just take 30 seconds, make a video, and then you could see it play out and understand how powerful you are as an individual. And we could just stay on there for just a little bit longer. Like, how, how did that campaign come about? And maybe you could talk about the feeling you got when you started to see it work. For sure. So this was at a time when companies were fundraising $60 million, you know, to bring psilocybin drug products, uh, you know, to, uh, to get people treatment, right? Now, that's a lot of money. Uh, I started off working for free, uh, and we didn't have $60 million in top doctors and scientists and researchers. We had me, uh, Holly Bennett, uh, you know, Yasmin Sedin, uh, John, uh, Natasha, we had like a couple people on our team. Uh, who were working pretty much for free, and Thomas Hartle and Laurie Brooks and a couple doctors and therapists, um, and we're like, oh man, like what are we gonna do, you know? And you're absolutely right. I, it was this almost pathological belief that we would do it, this faith, Love right? It. We will do this, <laughs> and for a hundred days we endured every single day. People telling us, oh, this will never work. Never work. And let me tell you. That feeling 
when we realized that no, actually, you know, six, six kids, right. And like a bunch of doctors and, and patients actually just did what an entire, you know, multi-billion dollar industry couldn't do. Uh, I think that just, yeah, that was amazing. We moved mountains with a very small team and I can actually just say that the bigger we've gotten and, and the more attention, the harder it's actually become. So, uh, I, I actually, I, I think there's this beautiful thing where, you know, uh, once people start taking that attitude, if they actually can change things, they can make a difference. I think the, the, the short-term kind of like gains that you'll see right off the bat, kind of like when you're learning a new sport, you know, like, like skateboarding or something where you actually get really good, really quick. And then it's the, the more you do it, the harder it actually yeah. gets. That's the same. The same is true for just, I think, believing in yourself, honestly. Uh, you know, why do people love Ted Lasso, right? Like it's because that, that message is like lost, just believe, you know, do it. Um, that's what we saw. So you're absolutely right. It's like anyone who doesn't think that a 30 second video can't change the world. Prove me wrong. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> prove me wrong. Yeah. You know? Right. And it's fun and it's contagious and it's something that you can do for, I, I don't know. I think some of the most rewarding things that I've done in my life are are times when i felt maybe maybe i was feeling bad or something bad happened to me and then i did something nice for somebody else and all of a sudden everything that i felt like that i was down about just changed in me and it's like dude, i just made that person smile and like they, they, they come up and they give you a hug you're like hey i needed that and all of a sudden this pain that i had is gone it's like I, you get rid of the pain and the sorrow by being the change you want to see happen in the world like thanks gandhi like that's, that's all it takes right <laughs> exactly. No, you're you're a hundred percent right. Yeah. So yeah, I um, I you guys heard it here. Let's let's start like a meme campaign, or let's start a video campaign. Go on my page. Go on Spencer's page. Check out Theracell and make a video. Make a good one and make it heartfelt. Make it funny. Make it something that you know will help create change and be the change you want to be out there. But so so just again to clarify, Spencer. Where, where can people find you? What's the best way to support you? And, and what are you most excited about coming up? Um, so, yeah, people can find us at therasil.ca. That's, uh, I realize our name's kind of confusing. T-H-E-R-A-P-S-I-L. The, the P is for psilocybin, so it's like therapeutic Um Twitter and Instagram, LinkedIn, we're on there. Again, like we run completely off of donations, so we need people to donate for us. Um, so that I can keep working and, and our team can keep working. But um, yeah, you know, the, the things that are coming up that are most exciting is like a possible clinical trial. Um, we would need a whole nother hour to even talk about that. But <laughs> hey, if you ever want to chat again, let's totally do that. Yeah, let's set it uh, up. I would love to. Yeah. And then the um, the other thing would be uh, the, this video campaign, um, you know, addressing those videos to Justin Trudeau, Jean-Yves Duclos and Caroline Bennett. Right, thirty seconds being like, it's unbelievably ridiculous that in Canada you have the right to die, but not try psilocybin. Change drug laws. Do the right thing. That right there is all we need. Those like that small sentence. That's it. You get enough people doing that, and you've gone viral, right? And now all of a sudden everyone's calling them out and they have to respond. So, uh, I think that's the most exciting thing for me at this moment is. It's just seeing if we can recreate what the, the beautiful thing that happened in 2020 when the Minister of Health responded and, and actually made change. Uh, it's time. It's time for something to happen again. We got to move the needle. 
Yeah, I agree. And I, I admire what you and the team are doing up there. I think you're creating change and it's inspiring. And it's something that everybody who's in this space can look towards. And, you know, whenever I see the comments and people talking about what you guys are doing, they're always so positive. And it, I think you guys are really paving the way for other people to follow. So I appreciate that. And I hope you keep up the good fight. And if I can ever do anything to help out anybody on the team, please let me know. And we're going to schedule another, let's schedule another one soon. And we'll get you on talking about the clinical trials and we'll go deep dive on that. So that'll be great. Sounds good. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Uh, make the video, check out the site, reach out to Spencer. And that's all we got for today. Aloha. Hello, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.